Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. Morning, church. Gavin, you think you can get that first slide there? So, you are all aware now that Pastor Justin's doing a little R&R this week, and it's much needed, but he sent me this picture this morning. I'm, I'm just a little worried about it. I, I'm worried that this big fish stuff is going to his head a little bit, you know? Um, I... Can, can you see the, if we go back one, there, you see that? Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, what's this, I think the saying is pride goes before the fall. It, in this case, he might fall overboard. <laughs> so th- this is, we should pray for our pastor, so uh, this doesn't go to his head, but it's, it's a safety issue too, so. The... Uh, I think it's a good segue to the real thing I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, we're talking about truth here and how truth is represented in those pictures, and truth is obviously important, right? Um, important to stand for what truth is, important that we not compromise the truth. Um, and so we're going to be in Philippians 1 this morning, and we're going we're to learn a little bit about um, how to stand for truth in Philippians. If you guys want to turn there and find that. Um, that'd be a good time. This, I, I thought a little historical background would be helpful. Um, Philippi, which is who the letter Philippians was written to, is right there. And this is the Via Ignatia. And you guys have seen this before. Pastor Justin's going through Acts. And so I, I think we're familiar with this map. But over here to the west, is, that's the, the boot, right, of Italy. And so Rome's over there. And then coming across is this Via Ignatia, which is this Roman road, which is like our modern-day interstate system, and it went all the way over to uh, what's now Turkey and Asia Minor. It was military access logistics pathway. Philippi was right in the middle of it. Um, so a lot of the folks that lived there, even though it was in the middle of Greece, right, in Macedonia, they were Roman citizens, and, and they probably had some military training. So Paul's writing this letter to them. Why? He's their founder. He's their spiritual father. And uh, they had financially supported him. He founded that church on a second missionary journey, and they had helped him after that. And so at this point, he's writing a thank you letter to them, but he's also writing a letter to encourage them and enjoy and unity. And those are two themes in Philippians, if you read the whole thing through his letter. Paul's imprisoned in Rome. He's literally suffering for Christ. And so in other words, he's suffering for the truth. And he was incarcerated because he's preaching and teaching about the gospel message, right? He didn't do anything criminal. Um, he wasn't politically correct. That was his problem. And so he, he had this message of hope and truth that people needed to hear. He, he taught them about Christ, and it was simply countercultural. And so this is relevant for the Philippians then. Um, they didn't understand why he was in prison. This is relevant for us today. And some of you will remember in, in John 18.37, Jesus quotes basically saying that his purpose was to come to testify to the truth, 
Remember that? And so what truth is that? What's he talking about there? What are we talking about? It's the truth of the gospel. And from that, we get the truth of our biblical worldview and our moral oughts and ought-nots. And that was countercultural then, and it's countercultural now. And in the U.S., it's, it's honestly not that bad. We may feel like there's some bumps um, right now. There's a cultural shift away from biblical truth, right? So people who stand for it are going to run under friction. And, and we're seeing that all over the map. Um, but it's actually a great place to be a Christian. This is a map I pulled up from Voice of the Martyrs. You might be familiar with that organization. So the, the shaded countries are countries that, the, the dark blue ones, where there's government-sanctioned persecution against Christians or, or a real social-cultural persecution. And then VOM decided that the red-shaded ones are ones they put on their watch list. U.S. isn't on that. So this is, this is relative. This applies to our brothers and sisters all over the, the globe, too. So Paul's imprisoned, and he's likely physically chained to these guards. And uh, they're changing shifts every eight hours. And he's awaiting trial before Emperor Nero, and he's going to figure out if he's going to live or die. And nothing he did was criminal, right? So he's in a circumstance that's adverse. That's an understatement. I actually can't think of much worse place to be short of, short of dying for your faith or martyrdom. So what did he do, though? He, he led by example. He rose to the occasion, and he was able to write this letter to the Philippians to instruct him on how to behave in adversity. And so the question for us is, how do we act in adversity? What do we do when it's time to suffer for the truth? We're going to be in Philippians 1, and we're going to go through verses 12 through 30 this morning. And if you want to follow along with me, um, verse 12 starts, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that in my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and the most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. So that's Paul's perspective of the situation. It, it causes him joy. And, and we ought to have a proper perspective of adverse circumstances as well. Let's get in the mind of Paul for a minute in his context and, and think about it. He's in a circumstance that is beyond his control. It's unexpected. He probably doesn't understand it. He doesn't like it. And he's probably not happy about it. And Philippian church is similar, right? They don't understand these circumstances. They have their own problems. They don't understand them. They don't like them. They're probably not happy about them. But that's where the beauty of this begins. Paul has this single-minded focus on the gospel, on advancing the gospel. And ultimately, it's his cause for joy. That's his singular purpose. So his perspective is what's important. He's going through major adversity. He's suffering, literally suffering for the gospel, yet he's able to have joy. How remarkable is that? Isn't that awesome? He sees his circumstances through the lens of advancing the gospel not through the lens of his personal problems. So we, we see the gospel spreads to the Praetorian Guard. 
they wouldn't have had any chance but to be exposed to it. They're literally chained to Paul. Can you imagine that? He's writing this stuff out and talking to people and, and preaching and teaching. They get exposed to it. And, then, and, and everyone else, and that's probably Roman citizens and, and probably people in Caesar's own household. And we see the gospel is also spreading um, because people are encouraged by Paul's example. Right? He's got ongoing success despite his imprisonment. And so people are encouraged by that. And then there's other people preaching, and they're probably preaching more because Paul's in prison. They wouldn't have been otherwise. Um, some have good intentions. Uh, some are motivated by self-gain, I think. But Paul's not upset towards them. He's not vengeful uh, towards these people that mean to do him harm. Bottom line is, is that the gospel's spreading, and that overrides everything for Paul. So the, the, I think the question is, now is what's this gospel can we restate that back can we explain that to somebody what's he what's he on the line for here and so it, it's the good news right the you and galeon and um, i'm going to bounce over to first corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 you guys have heard this before paul says this is it this he says for i have delivered to you as of first not second importance right first importance what I also received, that Christ died according for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. Jesus was God who came to life as man, and his life, death, and resurrection, equal restoration and reconciliation for us to God. Believing in him reconciles us with God. And this directly leads to our salvation, eternal salvation in heaven, salvation from our present distress. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The alternative is what? Constant physical turmoil and eternal suffering. So we're literally saved from the now, and we'll be saved in eternity, and that gives us hope for the future, and that's what Paul was single-minded about. That's his perspective. So, it, and look at verse 18. He says, what then? Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul rejoices, and so can we. It's not in spite of his adversity, it's not in spite of our adversity, but because of it, right? And this is joy now that he has not happiness. Happiness is a state of mind based on our immediate circumstances. Joy transcends our circumstances. And that's what Paul has here. So I, I, I looked at this this past week and I found this definition for joy. Listen to this. Joy is a delight of the mind arising from a present or assured future good. That's our hope, right? That's our salvation. It, it can be triumphant. That's our victory. That's Christ's victory. And if it is pervasive, it leads to cheerfulness. Have you ever met anyone who's cheerful all the time, like annoyingly cheerful all the time? They probably read Philippians. So, it, and also think about this, note this, um, this is also a model. Paul's model here is an example for us what to do in adversity. It's not just persecution because of our belief, but if we're going through any adverse circumstance, this, this is going to be a good plan for what to do. Um, if you're looking for that self-help book about what to do or how to respond to my current problem, look no further. It's because the eternal message of the gospel and this perspective transcends our circumstances. So if we have this perspective of how God uses our situations for advancing the gospel, then things start to make a little bit more sense. Hope and salvation can spread in ways that 
wouldn't have occurred otherwise, ways that we don't expect, right? Ways that we wouldn't plan if it were up to us. Um, and so these adverse circumstances, then they have purpose, and they can be a cause for joy. So, so I think, I mean, the, the, the what do you do with this? I think the question is, when we're going through a tough situation, you know, ask, how is God using this situation to advance the gospel? And, and what's my part in it? And does this give me an opportunity to example my faith to other people or, or an opportunity to share my faith with other people? So um, and for those of you, I didn't put a bulletin handout in there. I'm sorry this morning. But if you're taking notes, um, we're going to go to the next slide. And uh, we're going to pull several principles out of this passage. And so uh, we're going to go to the next one. And it's that believers should place their identity in Christ during adversity. And we're going to bounce back with Paul in verse 18 through 21. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. Why? For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will now as always be exalted in my body, whether by Life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we ought to put our identity in Christ like Paul when we're going through adverse circumstances. In this instance, Paul is saying, hey, look, it's not all about me. It's not about what I want to be or, or, or what I want to do. Christ is at the top of his personal priority list. Everything is secondary to Christ in the gospel, right? Christ is up here, and he puts the self down here. That's where it should be. That's what he's doing here. And he honors Christ with his actions. Look at 19 and 20. Paul's not hoping for his own deliverance here for the sake of him. Instead, he's asking to be delivered so that he can honor Christ. That's a significant thing. But Christ is everything for Paul. And, and Paul's identity is as a Christ follower. And when he says to live as Christ and to die as gain, Paul is acknowledging that because of the gospel, he'll have victory and salvation and life or death. Christ will be exalted either in Paul's life or in his work or in his potential death as a martyr. Paul wins and Christ wins, whether Paul lives or dies. And he's not afraid of death because of it. And neither should we be. And look again in 18, joy can be experienced because of a focus on Christ instead of ourself or the current situation that we're in. So I, I, I've often looked at this um, phrase, to live as Christ, to die as gain, and I think this will help illustrate the point, like how can we apply this, what does this mean to us? I made it a fill in the blank. So just think about, look at this first, this first part of it, to live as Christ. Right, I took it out. Can you, you don't have to raise your hand or say it out loud, but can you put something else in there that's more significant or, or means more? What do we live for? What do people live for if it's not for Christ? It's for themselves, whatever their hobby is, whatever their relationships are, right? their career, their resources, their money. That's what they're living for. And, and conversely, to say to die is gain, what, what else could we say there? You know, if you're living for something other than Christ, then to die is loss. Or it's escape. Think about that. 
So the reality is, is that any other self-identity, any other fill-in-the-blank isn't just wrong. It's going to lead to hopelessness and despair and disappointment. Going through adversity with any other mindset just won't work. It means we ought to surrender and identify what these things are that are messing up our priority list so that when we fill in the blanks for ourselves, we're not hopeless. Does that make sense, guys? I'm going to go to uh, point three. And it's out of 22 through 26. Paul says, But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to see you again. So Paul's torn up here. He wants to check out the situation. Instead, he chooses to remain. And that's what we should do in adversity. We should remain steadfast. Like Paul, he's given us an example of what to do here. He doesn't abandon those around him and need him. God's got a purpose for Paul. Paul's still got work to do. God's got a purpose for us. We've still got work to do. We shouldn't check out or abandon the truth or abandon each other in difficult circumstances. I don't know if any of you read um, World Magazine, World Journalism Institute. Um, I think it was from May of this year. There was an article um, about a pastor, Andrei Fermanov. He's a Russian um, pastor. And he's been there for a long time, like 30 years, leading this church. And he had an opportunity a long time ago at the fall of the Soviet Union, fall of the Iron Curtain, to leave the country. And, and uh, he didn't do it because they needed, they needed pastors. They needed church leaders. And so he's been there diligent this whole time leading his church. And then about 100 days ago, when all this chaos ensued, um, there was this sort of exodus, right? And he had an opportunity to leave again to avoid persecution, get out of there. And he didn't do it despite people saying, hey, you should go. And this is what he said. This is what Furmanov said. How can I teach these people for three decades and teach them to overcome difficulties and when, then when trouble happens, just say, okay, well, enjoy my teaching. Listen to the audio online. So he's trapped now, right? But his circumstances give him this opportunity to lead and teach and share the gospel in a way that would have never happened. And it's similar to Paul's situation. Gospel's advancing in ways that we don't expect. So the other thing about remaining steadfast is that it's, it's uh, selfless, right? This is not what he wanted to do. So he's, again, he's prioritizing himself down at the bottom. That's virtuous behavior. And, and honestly, that ought to be enough for us to want to do it. We want to be able to do the right thing. We should want to do the right thing. Remember, God's got a, he's got a purpose in the midst of adversity, a purpose for things. So um, our purpose may very well be that, hey, there's other people that need us to encourage them so they can experience joy too. That's, that's what's on Paul's mind here. So let's stick, let's stick with the mission, right, when we have some adversity that strikes. Let's not compromise truth um, or biblical values because it's convenient. Let's hang in there despite consequences. So next principle is, is 
believers should conduct themselves in a worthy manner. So now Paul is going to give some instructions. So he's led by example. He's, he's lived as an example. He showed him what to do. Now he's going to tell him what to do. And we're actually going to get our next two principles out of verse 27 here. So if you'll read it with me, it says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul's exhorting the Philippians to conduct themselves properly, to behave virtuously. Paul's telling them to perform the right action based on their identity, right, and their belief system. It, it, and this isn't an isolated concept. Some of you are familiar with Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 and 2. It's similar. Paul implores his readers in Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And then he lists out humility, gentleness, patience, love as ideals. Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit. We're familiar with that, more than likely. Fruits of the Spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. So these are the actions that are proper conduct in, in tough circumstances. And the opposite, think about this, think about this juxtaposition. The opposite is the typical human response, right, of anger or anxiety or fear or self-preservation. So he's asking us to do something that's difficult. Remember, we don't, we don't do these things just because it's the right thing to do or, or trying to gain approval, but we do it because of our position in Christ, because of our identity in Christ and what Jesus did for us. So because of what Christ has done for us, right, and the renewal that's occurred in us, then we can choose to reflect Christ to other people. That's what he's asking us to do here. So it's a product of, of grace. There would be no other way we could do it. And it, What it ultimately means is that we ought to behave in a way so that if Jesus came back right now, we wouldn't be ashamed. How else should we act in adversity? I, it reminds me of like a medieval knight, right? The knight in shining armor. Um, he was on a battlefield and he's honorable. Um, even when times are really difficult, right? He's virtuous. And he avoids shame. That would be one of his primary motivators. That's what Paul's doing here. I, I mean, I don't really see a, a good argument to act any other way, to be honest. I mean, folks in the secular circles would tell you that's, that's the proper way to act that would win the day. So w- when adversity comes, when we go through a difficult situation, think about this. So example our faith, right, by doing these things instead of resorting to human nature and acting like hypocrites. If we do this well, we'll be winsome. Difficult thing to do. Paul's asking him to do. So conduct ourselves as worthy. Let's not respond in anger or exchange of unpleasantries in a difficult conversation where something happens that's unjust, right? Um, and moreover, let's not act with cowardice. Let's not compromise our values for the sake of convenience. So the next principle we're going to get out of verse 27 is that believers should be unified in adversity. And so, remember, in 27, Paul's saying, conduct yourselves worthy in a manner um, of the gospel of Christ. Why, though? So that whether I come or see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. 
So he's talking to the whole church now. He's not just talking to the individual. Right? It starts with the individual first. That's what you got to do. And then now, hey, church, this is what you guys have got to do. Church should be united in the gospel. That's your common ground. Okay? So, it, and I draw analogy when I think about this in the body of Christ, I draw analogy from my experience as an army officer, striker cavalry troop, which regular army nomenclature, that's a company, right? It's a fighting unit. And you've got all these guys and they have this common identity and common purpose and they have to self-sacrifice in order to make it work, right? But it's not just shooters and scouts. It's you, you got to have medics, you got to have drivers, you got to have supply, you got to have guys that do logistics planning, got to have leadership, got to have people that cook. Everybody's got to do their part in order for that team to function, do its job. And so it's, I mean, it's not dissimilar from us, so if we exercise our spiritual gifts together, the entire body of Christ functions well. We got to do it together. We got to be united together. We got to set aside petty differences and, and uh, unite on our common ground. Our common ground is Christ. So this is a call for unity for the church. Now think about church, the church building is our home base where we can reload and re-equip and refresh. We can serve each other and encourage each other and equip each other, pray together. And honestly, if we went through adversity any other way, it'd be terrible because we'd be alone. So unity. And the last one, in the last three verses, um, Paul makes a point that believers should also suffer well. In verse 28, he says, But in no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and here to be in me. So here's saying, he's saying opposition is to be expected. In fact, he's saying it's a good thing because it's a sign you're doing the right thing. If you get opposition, you get some friction, that's okay. If we're opposed for telling the truth of the gospel, then it's confirmation we're on the right path. So think about it. Paul's suffering, Christ suffered, the Philippians suffer, modern-day believers suffer. In other countries, maybe in this country. In other words, suffering is expected. So this isn't, this isn't a feel-good address, right? Um, I think suffering is inherent to being a Christ follower. We don't just get to believe and be saved and then ride off into the sunset. Paul says to expect it and get ready for it. And the reality is, is that adverse circumstances will come to believers because our worldview clashes with the culture. We believe in Jesus, and if we take part in his grace and salvation, well, why are we not also expected to suffer? So when it occurs, don't worry about it, though, right? And remember, we're equipped for it. But we need to do it well, because people watch how we respond. So... Everyone is a graceful winner, right? It's easy to be a winner. Um, but it's how we handle adversity that defines us. That's, that's what uh, reveals our true character. And as we've seen here, then, suffering's part of the Christian experience. 
But there's good news. The gospel. It's Christ. It's eternal salvation. Transcends our circumstances that are difficult. That was Paul's perspective. Makes any adversity that we go through worth it when we realize that people's souls are at stake, but we've already won the battle. Take great encouragement from that. So having a perspective of how God is using our circumstances, whether we like it or not, whether it seems like a happy circumstance or not, to advance this program changes everything, and so does making living for Christ as our priority. That should be our lens. That should be our identity. These actions carry us through everything. When the going gets tough, he reminds us to remain and be steadfast, act virtuously, conduct ourselves as worthy, and then fight together. And if we do these things, we'll suffer well through it. Think about Furmanov and his church. I don't think it's easy. So, it, look, if you've never seriously thought about this, this gospel and and these things that I'm talking about, I challenge you to do it now. This is, this is worth putting a stake in the ground over. Think about what I said about the truth of the gospel. And think about this hope, this eternal hope, this physical hope that it gives us. We can have joy despite our circumstances. There's nothing else that gives us that. So, I mean, if you want to have real joy, if you want to experience salvation from the adversity of life, if you really want to stand for something, this is it. All you need to do is believe in Jesus. Believe that he died for you too. In church, you consider yourself on this team already or in the fight. I mean, this is a challenge for us, I think. If we operate and think from the standpoint of the gospel, we place our identity in Christ alone, then we can face any circumstance together. Um, I think we've got one last song. Worship team, would you mind coming up? We'll bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the freedom and opportunity to be here and worship you and praise you, learn about you, learn about your intent, purpose for our lives. Um, thank you for instructions on how to deal with circumstances. Thank you for the message to us and your word to us, how clear it is. Thank you for reassurance of victory despite all odds. We thank you for hope and joy in difficult times. Um, we thank you for the reminder about suffering so we can set our expectation management appropriately. Help us to take this message to heart so we can change how we think and how we act in times of persecution. Help us to set aside ourselves, make our identity as Christ followers. I, I ask that you'd bless and equip Christians around the world in what other circumstances they might be in. We know you won't abandon us, and I pray that you would equip us for whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in here. Please bless this church, this local body, God. Help us to be uh, mature believers. We ask for growth, spiritual growth. I pray that you bless our, our
our outreach or ministries or small groups. Your will be done. And I ask that this afternoon we could have a safe and fun time and have some shared experience together. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.